Boaz became a picture of Jesus to her. Um, He became her redeemer. She had a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the son of King David, who had a son named Solomon. And it's very interesting. It says, by the wife of Uriah. Right? It doesn't say Bathsheba, but if you know the story at all, David, who was a man after God's own heart, man, he, he was supposed to be out fighting the battles of the people of God, and he ended up on his rooftop and lusting after Bathsheba. He brought her into his bedchamber. She became pregnant. Right? Eventually, he had Uriah murdered. So, so David, at the core of his heart, is a murderer and an adulterer. It's less than a stellar moment for the people of God, but the grace of God just keeps on coming. You probably have some parts like that in your own story. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, who was an arrogant and divisive king who split the kingdom of Israel into two, both the northern and the southern kingdoms. Verses 7 through 11, it's a list of good kings and bad kings. And listen, through all of that, God keeps working. God keeps working his salvation plan. God never gives up despite the waywardness of his people, despite the brokenness of his people. His promise keeps coming despite all of their sin. So God keeps working. Finally, the, the people of God are exiled into Babylon. They come back. They rebuild the temple. Surely this is going to be the moment where God comes and he saves his people. No, they get conquered over and over again, just like we fall over and over again. Yet the grace of God keeps on coming. That doesn't fix the problem, but the grace of God goes forever and ever, and it ends in the person and the work of Jesus Christ who comes into the world, not for people that have it all together, but for people who are running in the opposite direction. So listen, this is what it means. No amount of sin can stop the salvation plan of God. Not murder, not incest, not prostitution, not good kings, not bad kings. Everything comes under the rule and the reign and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. That everyone can get in on this. That no one is disqualified from this. That this mercy is not only present in a story, but this mercy is present here this morning. So that regardless of what your past is like, that you can look on Jesus and he promises to own your story every bit from beginning to end. And the reason... I just had a particular burden for those who had a difficult past with their families, right? For whom your family's story is something, when you think of, it only brings you pain. This story is in the Bible to tell you that that does not have to be the thing that defines you. That God actually wants to redeem and tell your story in a different way. That even though there's that pain point, that that's where grace comes in and grace becomes real. We need to hear this loud and clear that that God doesn't come looking for good people. um, Because it'll keep us from being the morality police, right? Listen, there's no one more likely to respond to the gospel than anyone else. Look at your own story. I mean, if there was a who's who least likely to be used by God, I would have been at the top of the list. I wasn't looking for God. He came looking for me, right? But oftentimes we, we try to categorize people by what we perceive to be really serious sins. 
and we want to distance ourselves. And we become like the, the Pharisees in Jesus' story, where we want to quarter ourselves off from people that we think will defile us. These verses are in the Bible to say that God is passionate about saving the worst of humanity to, to reveal the grace and the goodness of his story. So we want to we embrace this, that God is a redeemer and his redemption is relentless. Tim Keller helps us with this. He says, in Jesus Christ, prostitute and king, male and female, Jew and Gentile, one race and another race, Moral and immoral all sit down as equals. Equally sinful and lost, yet equally accepted in love. In the old King James Bible, this chapter is filled with the begats. So-and-so begat so-and-so. Boring. No. The grace of God is so pervasive that even the begats of the Bible are dripping with God's mercy. This is the part that I want you to live in the good of. God is not ashamed of us. We are all in his family. Hebrews 2 says that he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. So what that means for us is that God owns our stories. That he is never and never will be ashamed of you. That you can trust in him. That he works despite our past. And he gives us real hope for the future. And so I want to close with this. His story is greater than our story. His greater is his story is greater than our story. So when you come in contact with this story, when you realize that this is the true story that changes the whole world, that this is a story that you get caught up in, it reaches down and it swallows up your story. So that your story no longer has to be about your past. That your sin becomes a footnote in the story. And his grace and his mercy and his kindness become the headline. So we get to begin to look at, you know, it's more than just celebrating a baby in a manger. It's celebrating a salvation that has come looking for us in the person of Jesus. This is about his story changing how we see ourselves so that we can treasure this story in this season, that this story is now our story, so that we can begin to tell this story with our lives. This should change how we relate to one another. We don't look at each other based on our own performance, the way that we've encouraged one another or not encouraged one another. We look at each other as those that have been owned and loved and ransomed and rescued by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We don't relate to one another on the basis of our performance. If Jesus doesn't relate to us that way, then let us as the people of God begin to model that story with one another and embrace one another despite our weaknesses. Because if you've ever tried to live in community for very long, right, um, it can be disappointing, right? People will let you down. Um, I will let you down. The leaders of this church will let you down. But the good news of Matthew chapter 1 is that God will never let you down. And he allows this kind of story to relate, um, help us relate to one another in grace and love and forgiveness. God owns our past. He owns our regret. He owns our shame. And he gives us 
a new story and new hope to live in. So I pray that, that this story would change how you view yourself, that his story would be fresh on our lips, and it wouldn't be the way that we look at our past it would be something that would um, discourage us, but it would be, that's the very point that God himself came into our story and he changed our story. So let's pray. Go ahead and invite the band to come up. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he loves us. Thank you that he forgave us. Thank you that he came looking for us, not at our best, but at our worst. Thank you that no amount of brokenness in our stories and our families can keep us from your love. I pray that right now in the midst of this, that you would do real healing inside of our hearts. I pray for those that are burdened by shame, whether it's shame of 10 years ago or 10 minutes ago. The past no longer defines them. I pray that mercy would flow because of Jesus in this place, that you would bring real healing and real hope. Father, as we turn to the table, I pray that you would give us fresh faith and fresh vision as we walk out life in your story. This would be something that we're eager to give away to the world. I pray that this story would be the foundation of our lives and the foundation of this church. And it would be a rock that we stand on. Father, have mercy on us because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.